Adrian Broadus. Now you just heard the news, folks. A couple of uh, monster stories today in football. One in the NFL, one in college. It gets us going here on the show today. In fact, as we come your way from our 600 ES Piano Paso, River Oaks Property, Schoolyard Sports Studios, um, you know, you say, what's a bigger one? Well, the answer is obviously Nick Saban. Not to say that Pete Carroll's a small change, but Pete Carroll would be a dominant story on any day that doesn't involve the name Nick Saban. Sure thing, but uh, wow. So both are out, except in completely different types of uh, departures. In the case of one, um, Pete Carroll, he gets fired, let go, out after 14 seasons. And in the case of uh, Nick Saban, retiring. Because let's be honest, if you're Nick Saban, there's no job bigger than Alabama in college football. Some could argue, well, you know, Michigan's a huge job. Ohio State's a huge job. Notre Dame's a huge job. I get all that. Come on. You're king of Alabama? King of the SEC? For so many years? That is, that's the ultimate. So, um, you know, Nick Saban? on probably the Mount Rushmore of college football coaches. Think about that, okay? We've never really talked about the Mount Rushmore of college football head coaches. Who would that be? you got to assume Saban's on that list, right? So who else do you put on that list? Bear Bryant, right? Bear Bryant would make sense. That's probably a gimme, a layup right there. Um, And then after that, it gets kind of interesting. It really does, because there are tradi- you know there are uh, unbelievable coaches when you look at the list of college football coaches ever in the history of the game. Um, you know, you kind of say to yourself, who else? Uh, you know, who else would be there? Uh, maybe Bobby Bowden. You could make an argument that he would be on that list. Yeah, definitely. You know, you've got Joe Paterno. You mentioned Bear Bryant. Um, there's good names to disrespect Eddie Robinson at Grambling for all the years he spent out there. You know, 1941 and then uh, back again in 45 to 97. That is a great run as well. So, you know, its point is uh, Nick Saban on the short list of uh, the greatest of all time. Six national championships. That really, uh, you know, is is incredible because he did it in 28 years. Most of the legendary coaches in the history of the sport spent 40 plus uh, coaching. Paterno 46, Eddie Robinson 55, Bobby Bowden 44, Bear Bryant 38, Pop Warner 49, Amos Alonzo Stag 57, Nick Saban 28. It's pretty. Uh, Pretty remarkable when you start to think about, you know, your 15th on the all-time win list in 28 years. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Saban, he dipped his toe in the NFL, found most of his success, or all of his success, I should say, in college football. Steve, uh, he will be no college football. And just the dominance, right? The new age of dominance. But what I loved about Nick Saban more than anything were two things. Number one, I loved his adaptability. He, it, the NIL, the transfer portal, spread offense, whatever you want to talk about, he was always willing to adapt his teams year after year in order to find 
find success. That was what was so impressive. And then number two, uh, just the laundry list of all the NFL players he's had over these 17 seasons, especially as a late. I mean, you just turn on the TV, every NFL team has got a guy from uh, the, from Alabama, it seems like. And, uh, you know, some of the best players across the league are from Bama. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Hey, by the way, how about the fact that also today – Apparently, Aaron Rodgers is suspended from appearing on the Pat McAfee show for the rest of the year. That's even crazier after the Jimmy Kimmel beef. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I wasn't a fan of the appearances, but yeah, I I get it. Well, I mean, that's just... uh, Hey, if it's ESPN who's putting it on, and he's actually... He he wasn't just dissing, you know, Jimmy Kimmel. He was talking about other executives and stuff like that. So it must have been, you know, uh, a a decision made behind closed doors, don't you think? I, I do, and here's my question. By the time the season comes around and let's say, um, you know, uh, Aaron's back on the show, is Pat McAfee still on ESPN? Ooh, good question. I like the beef here between uh, McAfee and ESPN. And you know what? Actually, I take McAfee's side for his grievances that he held against ESPN. I don't like the fact that, uh, you know, if there's an executive who's leaking information behind closed doors, which is what has been rumored to, to be the case, at least on McAfee's side, I'm definitely on McAfee's side there. We are an ESPN affiliate, but we are not owned and operated by ESPN. We are owned and operated by Town Square Media, meaning that there is a small um, a fee that I think we pay for the affiliation, uh, and then we run commercials, but we are not uh, governed by ESPN. We just run their national programming. So it's not like uh, ESPN could tell us what to say and what to do. In fact... Local management doesn't even do that around here. They pretty much give us carte blanche. It's kind of nice. I mean, they they trust us. We've tried to deliver uh, 30-plus years of a quality afternoon drive sports radio show, and we don't have to worry about any crazy decisions being made behind the scenes. Yeah, I was going to say, if this ended up happening with us, it probably wouldn't even be the radio. And actually, uh, our higher-ups would laugh with us. You know, They would probably be – and we've mentioned our higher-ups here on the show plenty of times. By the way, I didn't mention this yesterday on the show, but I should. I think it's very important. A lot of you need to hear this and understand this yesterday morning we were given approval by the national football league to be broadcasting sports talk for the second straight from radio row and uh the big one folks that's right we will be in las vegas and uh the road to vegas for us will uh, go from now until the uh, first week of february uh, february 6th will be our first show we'll do tuesday through friday in fact we'll be going up there monday so we can be at the press conference the big one that they have and spending the entire week in las vegas So very excited to know that for the second straight year, this radio show, along with our special uh, two-hour show that we uh, have with uh, Steve and Chris Fernandez laying down the law, will be broadcasting and originating live from Radio Row in Las Vegas um, at the Mandalay Bay uh, Hotel, which is where we will be. So, Adrian, that is great meeting, and uh, we were finally given uh, approval yesterday from the uh, National Football League. Very excited about going back with you and doing that for the second straight year. Yeah, it was definitely a career highlight for me going last year. I mean, no doubt about it, uh, having a chance to interview so many different people throughout the week and then just see all the people. Steve, I've got to brush up on my facial recognition. You know, no more Twitter uh, to try to get us these interviews. I've got to try to uh, – maybe I'll get flashcards of all these NFL like that, and then I'll start to memorize their faces. That would be great. And, uh, yes, we want to just try to bring as many interviews as we possibly can. And last year we went from Wednesday to Friday on air. This year we're expanding it Tuesday to Friday. So we're we're giving you that <laughs> – excuse me. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm choking up. Um, 
the extra day. So four days instead of three uh, for the press conferences on Monday. We will definitely have good interviews with members of both teams that we will get a chance to be a part of uh, Monday night. Hey, uh, see, you know, knowing that the Eagles and the Chiefs have been playing the way that they've been playing, which hasn't been particularly great in teams in Vegas, maybe we'll see a little craziness knowing that it's in Las Vegas as far as the two teams that are there and then get a chance to interview some great people uh, to deliver here on this show. Could you imagine if the Dallas Cowboys actually got to the Super Bowl, what that would be like. Oh, my God. This town would go nuts. I know. We would have a lot of requests to, for yes, people to hop on, the, the you know, like a bus or something with us. Yeah, yeah, we might have to call our friends from 915 Tours and actually get a bus to do something like that. I was going to say, David Garman might be very, very busy if that's the case. So chances are he's going right. to be busy anyway. But all right. Hey, 12 pass. Good show today. We've got Jay Jaffe coming up next. We have Jeff Erickson coming up in our 5 o'clock hour. And Bernie Olivas will be back with us in studio to talk about the future of the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl in our third and final hour. That being said, let's start it off with Domingo. He'll lead us off first up today here on the show. Domingo, how are you? How are you, Cappy? And I think you heard the news that Nick Saban retired. As we wait, wait, what? Domingo, what happened? What? You, wait, what? What? I think you already heard the news. I think you already heard the news. Nick Saban has just retired. He did. The, Nick Saban retired. Adrian, is this true? Is Domingo's on no to something way. here? Domingo, come on, man. Nick Saban I, didn't retire. What are you talking about? I saw it on Nick Saban just called it quits. No, it must have been a fake. That has to be a fake account, uh, Domingo. That can't be real. That's got to be a phony account. I don't know. You should just check it out. But but if it is true, I, I don't know. But but this is one of four retired. Hulk of San Diego State retired. Yep. Craig Bowl of North Dakota State and Wyoming retired, and the last and not least, Jerry Kill. True, very true. If in fact you're, what you're saying is true, and Nick Saban did retire today, where do you rank him amongst uh, the best college coaches of all time? Yeah, big time, along with what you, what the guy says, and I'm also giving you my opinion. Who could also be the Matt Rogers of coaching conditions to come back? And Mike Price, who led UTEP to everything. And Mac Brown, who led Texas to two Rose Bowls. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop for a second. Okay, it's crazy enough that you're throwing this r- ridiculous rumor about Nick Saban at us today and, and starting the show like that, okay? Because you heard about it on the internet. But now you're telling me that you they, they should that Alabama should find Mike Price and get him out of retirement. No, 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 no. no. I'm talking about the Matt Rushmore's of coaching guys. Oh, we want to put. Wait, wait. So you want to put even crazier? So wait a minute. Okay, now, now I th- I was hoping you were just going to throw that you want to take Mike Price and bring him out of retirement and let him have the job that he never got to start out there in Alabama. But you're telling me that you would put Mike Price, Jerry Kill, Nick Saban. And who's the fourth you'd put on your Mount Rushmore? Mac Brown. Mac Brown. So there it is. There's your list. Mike Price, Mac Brown, Jerry Kill, Nick Saban. Four greatest coaches in the history of college football. Yep. Appreciate the call. Thanks for getting in today. Oh, I love Domingo. I love Domingo. Throwing yeah. that at us, yeah. He didn't. He wasn't listening while we were talking. It's okay. But uh, wait a minute, Domingo was. Here's what I don't understand. Tamika was on hold for like 10 minutes. Right. Uh, the 10 minutes he was on hold, 
How long did we spend talking about Nick Saban retiring? Yeah, exactly. He probably, he, to, uh, like, you know, what do you, he like, care. hey, what do you all do when you're calling into a show like this and you're on hold? Do you just, like, not even listen when you're on hold to what we talk about and pretty much just go about your day and then hope that, you know, when, when we, when we put you on the radio, you're, you're by your phone? I mean, or do you just, you know, like, are, are we, are we that bad where you just like we're noise and you just don't even pay attention to what's going on? I mean, Adrian, I'm I'm just trying to I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. Now, there was a period of time long ago that when you called into the show and we put you on hold, you couldn't hear the show. So if that's the case, I understand. But nowadays when you're on hold, you you can you can hear what we're talking about. So I am a little confused. Oh, um, man. I had somebody already message me, hey, uh, Saban did indeed uh, retire. Come on. I guess I guess people tune in at different times and different points of the show. Yeah, I guess that, you know, 4.02 is not the 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 time when everybody would like to get in to yeah. the program. Hey, I'll just for Nick Saban, because it's happening, everybody, we, we understand we are being sarcastic here in this, in this case. We are? Uh, Us? <laughs> seriously? Uh, replacements. Deion Sanders. Could you throw him in the mix? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian. He can be in the conversation. Uh, you got to throw James Franklin in the mix, the Penn State head coach. You got to throw names. Maybe Urban Meyer. Would that be the weird one? No yes, way. Yes, it'd be but, weird. But, hey, I'll say this. It's the most desirable. You're right. Can't argue with that. Does Bob Stoops come out of retirement to coach at uh, Alabama? I don't know if they would want him. Um, mm-hmm. Stoops has been out of the college football game yeah. for a bit. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the case. He's also an advisor, I think, at Oklahoma. You probably want somebody who's right now coaching and winning, right? It makes a lot of sense. Definitely. All right. Um, who's on one? All right. Let's go to Charlie with traffic. When we come back, Jay Jaffe with a lot of baseball to talk about. We'll do that next. The Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. A swimming pool accident. Yeah, that was uh, an unfortunate uh, occurrence. Um, learned a lot about shoulder surgery from that one that I applied to my own work. Uh, but uh, not, a, not a fun experience to go through, and even today, it's, uh, it, it's still, the shoulder still gives me problems. It's never been the same. Did it, Jay? Was it swimming, uh, or was a, it? It, just, it was just a, just a, a you know, jumped into, jumped into a pool onto a mat and landed wrong, and, and uh, oh. uh, Felt it pop and knew I was in big trouble. Oh my god! So it was one of those. Was it one of those floaties in the water? Is that what it was? Yeah, I jumped onto a floaty. Yeah. Oh my exactly. god! All right. Well, look. Hey, uh, maybe there's there's a lot to be said about that because you think about your career and who knows if you don't mess up your shoulder, who knows what ends up happening when it's all said. Yeah, done. no. It's look. I I it's um. I, I guess I guess it happened for a reason. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade the last uh, twenty years for you know. For a fastball that was that that I that, that would have uh, would not have gotten ticketed by a state trooper anyway. <laughs> and how did I also not know that before baseball you were a graphic designer of textbooks and children's books? How is that? How did that slip us all these years? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we never really dove deep into your uh, pre-baseball life, Jay. That's I, I just what it could not. come down to. All right. Um, now, when you say graphic designer, does that mean you would do illustrations? No, I was doing you know page layouts and choosing artwork and things like that. I wasn't uh, I wasn't talented enough to be the guy who who, who did the drawing, but I you know kind of organize a project and uh, give a, give it an overall look and feel, and then lead it through production and uh, um, almanac for kids for a few years, nice. and uh, got to design a couple covers of the World Almanac and mostly a lot of textbooks that uh, you know most consumers will never see. Um, well, but uh, try, you know tried to make good science 
science textbooks and, and things like that. You hopped on with us shortly after you debuted at Baseball Prospectus, and I know that was January 6th of 2004, so 20, uh, 20 years, uh, you know, four days. I don't think we started doing our spots until about 07, okay. if, I'm, well, if I'm remembering correctly. It, listen, that's still going into its that's 17th year. Time. Jay, that, that's incredible <laughs> when you start to think about it. You are our longest-running weekly guest, and it's oh, not even amazing. close. So Amazing. It is, and uh, I love how your career has evolved over those years and how we're still doing the exact same thing we were when we first brought you on, but, <laughs> but, but that's really besides the point. Um, you know, before I get into uh, the Hall of Fame, Jaws, and, and some of the things you've been writing about recently, moves that have happened as of late, um, let's begin with this one, and that is uh, one of the latest uh, Japanese imports, and here's a guy that the Cub, uh, Cubs fans were excited about, Shota Imanaga, and it uh, looks like he will be getting a multi-year deal with Chicago. He's a lefty. He doesn't throw as hard as others, but he's been very, very good in Japan. And now uh, he gives the Cubs uh, out, you know, um, behind Justin Steele, uh, Teon, and, and Hendricks uh, another good arm. Yeah, he's uh, like you said. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't say I know a ton about him. He's uh, about thirty years old and uh, uh, has had some success. Um, in the uh, uh, in the, in Japan, and uh, uh, I know my pal Eno Saris at the Athletic was hyping uh, just how much his his uh, movement he gets uh, based on uh, in the uh, um, believe it was the World Baseball Classic. Uh, yeah, he said uh, the most ride in uh, on on his fastball. So that's uh, um, you know there, there's certainly some promise there. Um, you know he's he's not uh, top arm coming over this year, um, but the Cubs looked like they needed some rotation help, and uh, he looks like he can he can definitely help them. I know there haven't been a ton of major major moves uh, since the new year, but we did get the Robbie Ray trade to the Giants uh, from the Mariners for Mitch and Cash. And then we also saw that the Mets landed uh, Sean Manea for two years and $28 million with an opt-out after this season. Uh, any gut reaction to some of those moves? Yeah, Manea was a guy who added some velocity and figured some stuff out during the year last year. So I think this is a pretty good uh, below-the-radar signing for the Mets, who don't look like they're going to be competing for a playoff spot right now, but uh, um, you know, could stand to find uh, you know, some some pitchers that they can that they can build with here and i think he fits that bill um uh you know he's had some success before so had some arm problems and uh it's been kind of an up and down career um fun fun pitcher to watch when he's on though no doubt uh robbie ray to the giants do you like that move you know he missed he missed last year with a tendon injury but he's been a very good pitcher in the past a little erratic here and there but um the giants uh, they had uh, uh, a shortage of good starting pitching last year, and were doing a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, short outings, uh, kind of opener style stuff that uh, drove fans crazy. Um, Ray certainly gives you a lot more length. Um, the Giants had accumulated a ton of outfielders, so Hanniger, uh, you know, they've been able to develop a good young starting pitching. So they saw Ray as being at least somewhat expendable given his salary. They've mostly been in salary-cutting mode, though, yeah. um, this, this winter, and uh, I'm not terribly impressed by what they've done. Uh, I did like the Mitch Garver signing, which I think we talked about already. Um, uh, 
uh, Hanniger had some success with them, uh, but uh, uh, also, you know, got a, got away from them uh, last winter. I think they're happy to have him back. Uh, obviously, um, especially after trading uh, uh, Jared Kelnick uh, yeah. uh, recently. Teoscar Hernandez goes to the Dodgers. One year, $23.5 million. You wondered if the Dodgers are just going to keep making moves, and apparently the answer is yes. He now goes into the outfield with guys like James Outman, Manny Margot, and Jason Hayward. Gives uh, now another big bat uh, for Los Angeles as well. Plus, he hits from the right side of the plate, which will be nice for them. Give me your analysis on an offense that was already good, that, getting that much better. Yeah, they needed they needed some they needed a good right-handed hitter uh in that outfield there. Um you know, and and I think uh, uh Teoscar, he's had a lot of, you know, he's had periods of great success in the major leagues, but he's been kind of erratic. He's a bit of a free swinger, um but boy, he hits the ball hard when he connects. Um you know, had a, a very big 2021 and 2022 season. Fell off a little bit last year. Um you know the Dodgers are are, are banking uh, that he'll rebound and that they can help him uh, get back to where he was. Um, you know this is a power, and and I think that uh, um, you know for one for a one year deal it, it it should be fine. I think that uh, um, the, um, you got Hernandez, you got uh, uh, Hayward and, and Outman in that outfield with Mookie Betts uh, slated to play mostly second base, but uh, uh, this still gives them some flexibility here. Um, because if they need, if need be, they can sort of platoon uh, Hernandez and Hayward effectively, and and uh, um, uh, and get Betts and uh, Chris Taylor in the lineup if Taylor's healthy too. More with Jay as we keep things moving, but it is the bottom of the hour. Let's get back to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. Back with Jay Jaffe right now, talking baseball and beer here on the program, as we do with him each and every week. You can check out all of uh, Jay's articles, including at 20, and that's 20 years. Uh, congratulations again, Jay. Uh, 20 years on your on your Jaws metrics for Hall of Fame, um, you know, the, the measuring the Hall of Famers. By the way, I, I'm curious, when over these 20 years, and as you're putting the metrics together, how often did you tinker with certain types of numbers that you would weigh to try to determine ultimately their value and worth uh, to Cooperstown? Well, the basic formulation has been the beginning, but I did ch- I changed the definition of of a player's peak uh, score from uh, his best five consecutive seasons. Uh, while having to account for guys who missed time due to you know, military service or injury, major injuries, his best seven seasons at large, um, I found that was a little bit, a uh, uh, little bit easier. Gave some uh, easier to automate for the for the purposes of of uh, uh, not having to hand gather all the data myself and uh, uh, made a lunch from using Baseball Prospectus's uh, wins above replacement player which itself underwent some changes during the time that I was uh, using it, uh, to using baseball references, uh, wins above replacement, um, uh, which really was, I think, the key, the key factor in uh, helping the metric gain acceptance because at BP there, was, there were no leaderboards uh, for JAWS. You couldn't see you know, where, where somebody ranked uh, relative to their position. It was all in my spreadsheet, and if I wasn't telling anybody about it, nobody knew about it. Um, you know, at Baseball Reference, you've got those handy pages where you can sort by all kinds of means, and and uh, <clears throat> suddenly everybody, 
you know, who's uh, everybody in the industry who's going to baseball, uh, baseball reference anyway, uh, could, could check in on that stuff. And that was with the pitching stuff a bit, starters and relievers, um, relievers a couple times, starters uh, uh, more recently. But uh, the basic, you know, the basic premise of it is the same, to identify uh, the players who, who uh, meet or exceed the, the current standards at their position uh, relative to those in the Hall of Fame, uh, those guys for election. Um, you know, the, you know the, that that's been the thrust of the project, and I think it's been you know pretty successful. And we've seen uh, even uh, as some of the top players of the era have been left out um, due to their uh, involvements with performance-enhancing drugs, we've seen uh, the quality of of uh, player entering the hall has been uh, pretty much uh, improved from the from the previous uh, uh, decade or so before uh, Jaws was on the scene. You also mentioned uh, looking to incorporate catcher framing data. As yeah. Do you think there's going to become new metrics that haven't yet been accepted or developed that could eventually become as widespread as some of the major, uh, you know, major factors we're used to in in watching modern day baseball today? Probably only a matter of time before we we get. Uh... I think a, a more com- more comprehensive defensive metrics uh, from Statcast that are more widely accepted. Um, the current uh, standard that I'm using is is based on uh, defensive runs say that uh, um, you know is compiled by stringers and and uh, each play each type of play has a has a run value attached to it um, that that's that's used in in computing these values. But uh, via Statcast and maybe get a little bit more granular um, and that could uh, uh, that could change things. We've already seen that with uh, um, at Fangraphs component uh, from their outs above average in calculating our, win, our our version of wins above replacement. So I think it's a matter of time before we we, we see more of that, uh, you know, throughout the other metrics. Yeah, there's no doubt. And nowadays, players are so in tune with, you know, launch angle, making the right adjustments, and and using, uh, I think, uh, computer analysis to their advantage. So interesting, because as we've looked at some of these new numbers that are now in play, you know, 15, 20 years ago, these numbers were kind of unheard of in baseball, and most people will say they played the game you know, just without really any advanced knowledge of statistical analysis and metrics. So the game has changed. Everything about it is really is really changed, and athletes today take better care of their bodies than they ever have before, try to take better care, still get hurt at a pretty uh, rapid rate, and ultimately, uh, Jay, the offseason for them is is not just spent relaxing and, and not uh, thinking about baseball. It's trying to get, get, get a little bit of an edge so that they show up for spring training, either uh, fastball, higher speeds, and ultimately a better season. Yeah, it's it, you know a lot of that stuff that you talk about is it's certainly it's it's all pervasive in the game and and it and it has raised the quality of play, um, you know, in terms of the, the level of comp, you know, is more concerned with going with looking forward than looking back. You know, if you can improve your launch angle and and uh, uh, exit velocity, you're going to be more successful with your batted balls in general. Um, not at, you know not at the expense of of uh, uh, forgetting where the strike zone is and things like that, but. Um, you know that's that's the idea, but we want to be careful. You know, to with with the Hall of Fame stuff, I'm, it's more of a backwards look to try to evaluate what actually happened and and how much value was gleaned from that. But uh, you're right, it, the game has changed. I mean, you know, it used to be that ball players had to get off season jobs because their salaries weren't high enough. 
to you know training and getting ready for the next season. Um, you know, only the superstars could do that. Now everybody you know can af- can afford to do that. Um, you know, that's been I think one of the biggest changes in baseball that I think some people. You know, just just what the impact of that is. Yeah, very true. All right, um, you've already got an article up on Fangraphs right now. Who's uh, looking at Jose Bautista on the 2024 ballot? You held a chat yesterday. What do you have coming up here in the next few days? Uh, next one, next profile up for my one and done series is James Shields. Uh, uh, big game, James uh, of the Tampa Bay Rays and uh, Kansas City Royals, and uh, um, maybe didn't always uh, live up to that name. Uh, but was really widely respected throughout uh, because of his uh, uh, work ethic and uh, really a, his ability to go to any team and help help change the culture because of that uh, um, that, that work ethic and uh, that's why other teams uh, sought him out. As far as your beer pick of the week, okay, this is one from Three's Brewing that I had in my recent batch. It's called a, the Current Thing. It's uh, classified as a cold IPA, which is a style. It's a West Coast IPA that has been fermented at colder temperatures, uh, in this case using their, their house lager yeast. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's a bit drier. They use, um, uh, they use uh, New Zealand hops, uh, Ruwaka and Nelson Sauvin, which uh, uh, make for a, uh, still a, a fairly fruity beer, but it's, a, it's crisp and dry. Um, I like this a lot. Uh, went back for seconds, actually, um, when, I, when I saw it at Trader Joe's. Uh, uh, really, good, really good stuff. Good job, Jay. Always appreciate the conversation. Look forward to doing it again with you right back here next week. All right, thanks. Jay Jaffe, folks, from Fangraphs.com as we continue. 19 in front of 5. Stay with us. More in a moment. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. 47 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. If you're just joining us, the big news right now, Nick Saban retiring as head coach of Alabama. One of the questions we're asking you today is, where does Nick Saban rank amongst the all-time greats? Where do you put him? Is he in the conversation for you know, the best, uh, best college football coaches of all time? Sure seems that way. Six national championships in 20, 28 years. Plus, not only that, you know, he started at Michigan State. And if you think about it, averaged for his career more than 10 wins per season. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, li- listen to this one. To your point about wins, the stat of the day per e- ESPN's Adam Schefter, Nick Saban had more players drafted in the first round. For- wow. How about that? That's amazing. That is amazing. That's, that's a crazy stat. I think it's not his career win percentage over 800. Well, I, I mean, if that's the case, then at least at Alabama, it's pretty high, right? Yes, it is. It sure is. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable when you start to think about it. Um, how about this number? From 08 to 23, 109 and six, 199 and 16? Does that even seem possible? He just poss- didn't even lose. Does that even seem possible? I mean, it just the standard was not losing with with Nick Saban. Every time Alabama lost a game, I mean, think about it. There were guys who were drafted in the NFL and uh, you know made full heroes essentially for beating Nick Saban. You could talk about Johnny Manziel. I mean, he wouldn't have been Johnny Manziel had he not beaten Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide back when he did. And so, yeah. there's a lot of stories like that too. I just can't imagine averaging 12 wins over the last 16 seasons. I mean, the bar was for him was just different than 
anybody else. And it wasn't even close, Adrian. Not even close. Right. And he, I mean, think about it. He was around uh, for prior to BCS. He was with the BCS, the College Football National Championship. And left and right, all the guys who were on his staff, who constantly left his staff, it felt like a, a revolving door. And for NFL coaches who were on their way out of the NFL, it was like their time, their bridge year. They would uh, join the Alabama offensive staff or whatever it ended up being and helped out on that coaching staff or if it was a young uh, you know assistant or something like that they would end up being poached away and uh, being a head coach elsewhere yeah you're right and you know all the coordinators and assistants that have been there and and what that's done for their careers like when you go work for Nick Saban and they're successful that pretty much punches your ticket to a top job anywhere in the country yeah I mean Steve Sarkeesian he you can go down the list I mean Bill O'Brien was a part of his coaching staff last year I mean I don't know if that's necessarily a great one right or a great um you know example right there there's Mike Loxley who's the head coach over at Maryland right now uh, a lot of really good ones who he has had as far as assistant coaches who are currently running their own uh, coaching staff right now and even yeah. grad assistants who were under him Dan Lanning at, at Oregon was a grad assistant with Alabama and look at where he's at right now you think um Lane Kiffin's going to be in the running for the job Oh, that's funny. That would be hey, why not? I think I think you have to also throw in NFL coaches too. It's a desirable job. It's going to pay well. And uh you know, they're going to be willing to pay any kind of buyout dollars too. How about this? Um Ryan Williams, uh the top 5-star running uh receiver. Uh he is a top 10 recruit in the country for 2024. He has decommitted from Alabama now that uh, Nick Saban has retired. That's another thing to think about is how many of the top five-star recruits that Alabama was able to get in December are going to that this news has hit that, uh, in fact, uh, Saban will be uh, will be retiring. Yeah, really good point. I think there could be a lot. And I, I think you could talk about also players who are on the team right now, players who immediately hit the portal as the college football playoff came. You know, or do they decide to come back if a new coach comes in? You know, you always wonder about that as well. And then you also think about it. Like, if it's a coach from a current college right now or a current contender, for that matter, would they bring uh, a good amount of their current players over to Alabama and you see a huge roster overhaul? Is Cliff Kingsbury going to be in the running for the job? That's a name that uh, our pal Renee from Wind Supply uh, texted us uh, during the show. I think you have to throw him in the mix. You have to throw everybody kind of in the mix, right? Like, I think their preference will be a current head coach who's actually having a current job. I think that would be his preference and or Alabama's preference. And then they might look at even NFL coaches who they might who want a shot here in college football. I love this. Quirky Research uh, had this great post. Uh, In 1980, Nick Saban was picked by Ohio State to become the defensive replacing Pete Carroll, who left Ohio State after the Rose Bowl game to become defensive coordinator at North Carolina State. How he replaced out at Ohio State some 42 years ago, announced his retirement. Yeah, I could see uh, Pete Carroll eventually going back into coaching, uh, like at a head coaching role, but I don't think Nick Saban uh, with Alabama, he kind of oversees things with them still. Maybe he joins an advisory group in the NFL and wants to be kind of like a GM player personnel director or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like for uh, you know somebody like Pete Carroll, who's 72 years old, but today uh, at his press conference made it seem like it wasn't necessarily all of his decision to yeah. leave that organization. Maybe he does get one more head coaching job. You know what I love, though, about the news today with Saban retiring? I love the fact that 
He took his team, one play, walks away knowing what college football is about to become with this 12-team playoff and the expanded season next year. That's a good point, too, because you think about uh, the timing of this as well, Steve. He let Michigan-Washington uh, play its game out in the national championship. He could have retired right after that one in the first round and said, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of changes in college football right now. Don't know if I want to be a part of the 12-team format or anything like that. He lets Michigan have their basically their victory parade, and then he snatches the headlines from college football. That's true. Got to love him. Anyway, uh, Nick Saban. That's the story today, stepping down at the age of 72. And by the way, if he decides to go into TV and spend the next few years as an analyst for any of the networks like ESPN, I think he'd be terrific in that role. Right. He's actually really media friendly. When yes. He Maybe he'll replace Aaron Rodgers and do a weekly spot with Pat McAfee. Ooh, I like it. Or I hope, you know what? I hope he replaces Kirk Herbstreet on that um, Amazon Prime broadcast and joins mm. Al Michaels. That would be interesting. All right. One in the books, two to go. Stay with us. Five o'clock hour next. Coming up, Jeff Erickson in 25 minutes and Bernie Olivas at six o'clock right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Schoolyard Sports Studio. Here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broadus. All right, welcome back. Start of hour number two here on the show. You just heard from Adrian. The big stories. Nick Saban retiring. Pete Carroll out as Seahawks coach after 14 seasons. Those are the two biggest uh, stories. Although, I got to admit, a story that is uh, going to go completely under the radar. Nobody's talking about it. The three-year, $153 million extension that Kawhi Leonard signed with the Clippers this afternoon. Um that was something that I didn't expect. $52 million in the first year, $50 million per season over the next two seasons after that. In case you're wondering, Kawhi this year is averaging just under 24 a game with six rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting 51.6% for the Clippers uh, at the age of 32. I mean, Kawhi is pretty consistent, Adrian. We'll give him that. He's putting up uh, numbers that are very much in line with uh, the last few seasons of his career. In fact, last year he averaged 23.8, just like he's averaging this year. He peaked his first year with the Clippers when he averaged 27 a game. uh, And, you know, since then has been pretty steady. Um, I guess this is the new norm in the NBA. You take the superstars, you pay them $50 million, and you keep them under contract for a few. Yeah, actually, it's funny to say this, but this is actually a bargain price, knowing that the CBA is going to be happening with the NBA soon, and the big deals are going to range between $60 million, $75 million, $80 million a season based on the new televi- uh, television rights deals that are going to be put in place with the NBA uh, within the coming years. The other part about this is Kawhi Leonard, yeah, you, you talk about the consistency. It's, it's great. Eight, but the be- uh, the biggest issue with him is durability, and that's probably why the number is what it was. And it is right around the max value, right around what the biggest superstars make on an average annual year uh, for salary. So it's right there and very competitive. I expect this number to boost and, and be uh, significantly higher if he continues to be healthy with this uh, franchise. But that's a big issue. Durability has been the biggest question his entire career. And uh, you know, you could also look at Paul George. There they're working on an extension with him right now. Yep. He's having a great season with 23 points a game, shooting 46% from the floor, and then 40% from beyond the arc. He's another guy who they also have to lock down for the future, knowing that they they have that new arena that Steve Ballmer invested a ton of money into, and if they don't uh, you know, have some kind of jerseys to sell or some kind of excitement to sell, no one's going to watch uh, the Clippers in that new arena. 
That's true. And by the way, in case you're wondering right now, speaking of the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, they are currently 23-13. and 13. They've got the fourth seed in the Western Conference. They're three back of the T-Wolves. And yes, unlike the Lakers, who are 19-19, and 19, this Los Angeles team playing much better. I agree. I feel like the trade with James Harden was one of the things that made people concerned on the future of the Clippers this season, but they've found a way to stagger Harden and Russell Westbrook, and Westbrook's really coming off the bench, helping out with the second unit and and providing a lot of spark and energy. I expect Westbrook to probably be dealt by the deadline, uh, the trade deadline, and then James Harden. Uh, a fine fit right now. Let's talk in the postseason when it actually matters and when James Harden comes out. He's obviously uh, one of the worst playoff players right now as far as All-Stars go across the NBA. That is true. In fact, James Harden's averaging 17 a game. So you've got Kawhi, Paul George, James Harden, Norman Powell, and then uh, a little farther down the list, uh, you mentioned Russell Westbrook. He's only started in 10 of the 36 games uh, that he's played for the Clippers, and he's averaging uh, 11 points along with uh, six rebounds and four and a half assists per game. Yeah, you know, another uh, member who's really helped them out is Zubats, uh, who's down low, the center for the Clippers. He's somebody, okay, so look, Jokic is the guy, it all goes through Jokic this year in the Western Conference, in my opinion, still, Denver's still cream of the crop right now, Minnesota's got Gobert, and then the Clippers got Zubats, and I think those two guys right there, whether it's Gobert or Zubats, those are going to be the guys outside of Anthony Davis who pose the biggest threat to uh, Jokic, to guarding Jokic here in the postseason, and I don't like that compliment mix right there. I think the best guy in the league to guard him is probably Embiid. You taking Minnesota seriously at 26-10? and 10? Yeah, it's just because of Anthony Edwards, right? Yeah. Because he's really emerged into a superstar, and he's uh, right there along with Luka Dantich and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. OKC playing fantastic they basketball are. right now as they well. Are. So, yeah, uh, totally different teams. Timberwolves, Thunder, uh, but I like uh, the talent. I like the start to the season. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. And then... Over in the East right now, things are getting interesting because the Knicks have won five in a row, so they're suddenly the four seed. And then you've got above them the Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics. Now, I know you're a big Celtics fan. They have been terrific all year long, 28-8 and so far this season, um, and they're going to be fun to watch the rest of the year. But the Knicks have been great since the trade. Um, you know, you look at some of these teams uh, since the trade. Uh, the Raptors, not as good as New York, let's be honest. The Knicks have played a little better than uh, Toronto has, although R.J. Barrett's had some big performances for Toronto since the deal. But, you know, in the East, you have a lot of teams that are similar, like the Sixers, Knicks, Heat, Pacers, and Cavs are all kind of the same, including the Magic. They all have the, kind of like the same records. So really, from like four down to eight, a lot of parity. Although, uh, again, it, I look at Milwaukee at 25-12, and 12, I do think Giannis will be there come postseason, but the Celtics are a team to keep a very close eye on because unlike uh, anybody in the West, they have just been head and shoulders uh, dominant this season. My biggest issue with the Bucks is their defense, late-game situations, just not really uh, great defensively. The 76ers, uh, you know, I love the emergence of Maxie, and I think that minus James Harden, this team has been able to flourish right now as a legit contender out of the East. I'm not a Celtics fan, Steve, but I'll tell you this, at, at 17 and uh, nothing at home, 17-0 and 0 at home right now, TD Garden, really impressive by Boston. 
when they're I thought healthy. You the Celtics. Nah, I'm not a Celtics fan. Never have been. I thought I, you yeah, I was. I grew up a Celtics fan. All right. I thought, I, I I thought a couple of years team. ago on the show you were a big Celtics fan. Nah. Oh, you've ditched them. I, Who, I, who'd you ditch them for? Well, I'm a LeBron guy. I've always I've okay. I've been a LeBron guy for about uh, better half of like 10, 15 years Got of it. this 23 years in the NBA. So. Interesting. I always thought uh, Celtics was your favorite team, but that's okay. No, no uh, Celtics. Right. You, okay. So look, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Porzingis has when been good. he's healthy, he's been good. Uh, th- they're really you know. I, I also like some of the younger pieces or uh, other pieces, complementary pieces like Derek White. He's a veteran player who can really close out games nicely for the Celtics and uh, yeah this is a team right now it, it, you got to beat them it's like how you have to beat the Denver Nuggets you have to beat the Celtics in order to go to the NBA championship no I agree I agree and they are the team to beat in the east and uh, they're showing it right now they've been uh, they've been very good they've slipped up against the Pacers in a great game earlier in the week and the Thunder beat them by four but other than that they've been nearly unbeatable really uh, since uh, about uh, what you know 10 games into the season they've they've been ridiculous when you see see the group of teams they've played and beaten so far right and I feel like it's been just lapses in, in terms of their losses nothing really to be concerned about this season uh, other you know I really liked your point about the parity across the east because uh, whether it's the Cavs or the Heat I feel like those are the veteran groups and you could throw the Knicks in that conversation although they've already made a trade but Miami and Cleveland really need to make a trade here before the deadline Pacers Magic you could argue they're still young they don't necessarily need to blow it up or make a trade right now in order to try to push uh, for the postseason this year. But Miami, their window's closing. I mean, Jimmy Butler, he's only going to get older here as he continues. Hawkins has been a fantastic addition. Jaime Hawkins, we loved him at UCLA. He's translated it nicely into the NBA with the Heat right now. He's like the perfect player for them. But the Cavs, it feels like Donovan Mitchell is just not working with him. I think he's traded. Yeah, and I think he he does. I think uh, Darius Garland uh, can run the ship himself. And I think they're a little bit younger right now. They might need to, uh, you know, explore more options with that young uh, movement along with Evan Mobley, who's uh, leading their team as well. And by the way, Donovan Mitchell's averaging 27 a game. So it's not exactly like he's been a bust for this team. The problem with Donovan Mitchell is he's not giving them enough wins. That's the thing. They've got their superstar, but you can tell that it's not leading to dubs. And that's ultimately what it comes down to if you're Cleveland, considering what they gave up for him. And, you know, they, they, they landed him. Look, the Knicks were thought to get Donovan Mitchell. He goes to Cleveland. And you know what? The results haven't really been there since that trade. Yeah, I feel like with uh, this team right here, uh, I feel like there's so much to look at, right? Because they've got young pieces, Garland and Mobley, like I just mentioned. But Mitchell's ready to win now. He wants to be a part of a contending team to go to the uh, NBA championship right now. And I feel like a, a, a team that could end up trading for him, maybe you look at the New Orleans Pelicans, who just needs that one guy in the backcourt to really set them over the top. They've got great young pieces. If Cleveland likes the you know the fact that they're building a little younger, maybe they they do something where they get Murphy back. They get uh, some kind of you know Jones back as well in that trade. Uh, you could throw McCollum in there for salary reasons, but maybe New Orleans could be a good trade uh, partner for uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Impossible. And by the way, you said something that I find totally ridiculous. Okay, you said that they're going to be paying guys seventy five, eighty million a year. Now I understand this is their TV deal and this is what's going to allow it to happen, but. Shouldn't there be some kind of limits as to what some of these guys are making? Because that means, if you think about that, okay, let's say you play every game. So you play all 82 games, and you're making $80 million. 
That means you're you're getting paid essentially a million dollars a game. A million dollars per game. That is, you know, the definition of insanity. But that's what the going rate is. Shohei just signed what? Um his contract with the Dodgers, million? seven hundred million over ten years, right? Right. So that means seventy million uh, a season, even though it's all deferred. Sixty-eight million is deferred. You play a hundred and uh, you play one hundred and sixty-two games. So he's getting paid about half a million a game, which seems ridiculous in that sense. But it's Shohei. He does a little bit of everything. He does what nobody else can do, and that's baseball. Okay, basketball, different sport, different in, you know, different animal. But I mean, you tell me. Do you think professional athletes are worth seventy-five to eighty million a uh, million a year? Well, I kind of feel, I'm in the camp that I believe like once you're above like ten million, isn't all money kind of the same? I guess I've never been in that tax bracket. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I yeah I have uh, difficulty with it when it comes to this kind of stuff. I mean, Dame uh, Damian Lillard will be making sixty million in two seasons. Wow. So and that's already uh, in right now. So uh, the, these numbers are only going to get bigger. I, I predict by twenty twenty nine, it'll be that first eighty million dollar player a season. Well, hundred. Yeah, and then by uh, 2030, 2034, the way that the numbers and the way that the, the salary cap is hitting, that's what you read, and that's what a lot of people are predicting right now. I don't know if I necessarily am cool with that because it doesn't. it's not so much about the super, super, superstar who's making that money. It's about the middle class of the NBA who ends up getting $1 million or $2 million per year on a salary. And so you have to sh- share a locker room with a guy who is making $80 million. Like That's tough right there. You know what else is tough? trying to afford an NBA game these days. Try to go out to watch a basketball game, an NBA game, and see how easy it is taking a family of three or a family of four if you want to try to go have decent seats and, and enjoy a night out at the NBA. Uh, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna cost you a grand, even for uh, struggling Easily. teams, right? Even for struggling teams, it's not like you can even look at the Spurs Rocket games right now. Even for those tickets, they're they're still pretty penny. You want to see a middle of the pack team, especially in the like the Lone Star State, like the Mavs. Yeah, still you're gonna pay a hundred dollars, two hundred bucks for some nosebleed seats. I mean, that's just the reality right now. And what would you rather do? Would you rather take the family to Disneyland or go see an NBA game? Yeah, it's a good. <laughs> sure, and I'm being a hundred percent serious. You just came back from Disney, right? Um, what would you rather do? Would I would you rather, rather go to an NBA game. <laughs> you'd rather you'd rather go to an NBA game yeah. than go to Disneyland or yeah. Disney World. Yeah, that's but that I'm like one of few. I mean, I love this sport. Like, I love the NBA. So, like, I'm gonna say yes to everything for the NBA. Like, I'm gonna be pro yeah. NBA, right? But I agree with you. The average fan or the average sports fan, they take Disney World, Disneyland any day of the week, right? Because I think so there's too. there's no way if you're gonna spend the same kind of price, might as well do it at an amusement park like that where you can spend the full day yep. versus the NBA where somebody might be. Sitting out that game last That's right. minute, and That's somebody right. might be uh, taking an, a night off. Uh, this year has been better for load management than any of the past seven to eight to nine years uh, that we've experienced over the past. Uh, this year has been better because the All NBA list, the MVP list, all the postseason award lists—they yeah. require players to play a certain percentage of the season, and you know players are responding like that. Look, we just talked about Kawhi Leonard uh, for this entire segment. He's the one who's really played the entire year after this rule was implemented. Good point. 16 pass, back with more in a moment. But first, we'll get to Je- Jeff Erickson from Rotowire after Charlie won. He's got a traffic update for us. Past the hour. Still to come, 6 o'clock hour, Bernie Olivas. Oh, uh, you know, he'll have thoughts on the Nick Saban retirement. 
since Nick Saban actually coached here with Michigan State years ago at the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. By the way, uh, I'm interested to hear what this man has to say because he always has something good. Do you, don't you agree with me that Jeff Erickson always has something good to say about every single topic? You know what? I think we've thrown some soccer things at him. Of course, we yep. always uh, bug him for his golf takes. Uh, yeah, anything in the world of sports, we can ask Jeff Erickson. He'll deliver a good answer to us. Do we know for sure? Is Jeff going to be uh, in Vegas for the Super Bowl? Do we know that yet or no? Do we have any idea? No, I have no clue. Let me ask. Let me, let me find out. Jeff, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. I will not be in Vegas for the Super Bowl. I'll be in Vegas actually two days after the Super Bowl for our industry conference, uh, the Fantasy Sports Gaming and Sports and Gaming Association conference that we have every year in the winter. Uh, but uh, so odd timing there because it's right after the Super Bowl at the same place as the Super Bowl, and it encompasses Valentine's Day. So uh, apparently they they. They they don't really want healthy marriages for this conference, but that's okay. Do you have you ever been to Radio Row? I haven't actually. Do you um, want to? Do you want to? Do you want to go and just make two trips in the same like in a week and a half? I think I'm going to pass on that. No, I. I, I okay. I, I mean, I maybe maybe I would. We, we we'll talk offline about that one there, but uh, mm-hmm. I, it just it's a lot of traveling. A lot of traveling. Well, yeah, but you know what? You're come on. You're a big shot. You got a nice company. You could do it. Just take the company jet and fly to uh, Vegas. <laughs> the company jet. That's a good one. What are your thoughts on uh, Saban stepping down? I was shocked by it, to be honest. There, um, but then again, I was I was more surprised by Mike Vrabel getting fired yesterday. But yeah. uh, that's the world we live in right now. So true. Uh, and then today, maybe maybe the news, um, and and I think you know, in, in what happened in Seattle, maybe that is something that was a little more palpable because for the most part, Pete Carroll's uh, job status has kind of been murky over the last couple of years, hasn't it? I feel like it might have been a little bit. I saw some rumblings uh, here and there, uh, even before this came down. I was surprised a little bit because of the timing. You would think that uh, there would have been a little bit more. I mean, it's only a couple days after the end of the season, but usually it's Black Monday, but here it is Black Wednesday, and we're already starting to see things. Actually, you know, honestly, the Saban one is still the timing on that. After the recruiting season has gone by and all that, it's a little bit of a shock. I feel like that's the case. And and really, you talk about going out on top. I know he didn't win a natty this year, but he was one play away from getting the back there. And you look at the job he did with the, that team and, and, and really what they had to overcome with Jalen Milrow as quarterback the rest of the year. I don't know. I, I, I told Adrian earlier, great time to get out, right? They're about to expand to 12 teams. Who knows what's going to happen over these next couple of seasons? And now he doesn't have to worry about all that. He, he basically gets out before college football turns into a uh, well, a four-week playoff spectacle. Yeah, and it's already changed with the uh, transfer window with NIL. I think that's part of the reason why he's probably doing it. Is it, it's not the same product. We have, you know, we're going to go through all. We've gone through all this uh, conference uh, switching, if you will, uh, expansion, contraction, uh, and I, I think we're we're getting closer and closer to being at a semi-professional circuit. And that's probably not what he, that appeals to him. True enough. Um, also, I want to get your thoughts and your takes on uh, Super Wild Card Weekend. I know a lot of fantasy leagues are over unless you have playoff leagues, but we've got games coming up uh, here Saturday through Monday. Um, let's talk about the two games that are happening on Saturday, Browns-Texans and then the game that I'm really interested in, Dolphins-Chiefs, since the weather is probably going to be um, negative degrees with the wind chill out in KC. 
Yeah, uh, a lot of been lot, lot being up, uh, made of that one there, justifiably so. When you consider uh, the the Dolphins' home road splits, Tua's history playing in the cold is not good at all. Um, and, and the fact that the Dolphins have so many injuries, that's only going to get exacerbated by the conditions. It's supposed to be windy there, too. Yep, that's going to be awful. That's right. It is going to be awful. By the way, since um, – and, and I don't even know if Taylor Swift is going to be uh, on tour this weekend. I kind of hope she's not. Don't you want to see her when it's like negative degrees out there in some suite in KC rooting on, uh, you know, rooting, rooting on the Chiefs? I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, be a true fan. Sure, I can see it. You know, uh, the the whole, like, you know, the visceral reactions regarding her are getting a little old. You know, it's like she's not the cause for their success or failure. Correct. Uh, And it's so funny that people have kind of gotten all up in arms about that. I agree with you. Uh, But still, it makes – look, I I think the Dolphins are going to get – I do not like the Dolphins. I don't like the Dolphins in bad weather, period. And you're telling me they got to go go from Miami to that – those kind of conditions and try to beat Kansas City, who's been down this season, but this is a perfect game for Mahomes and the Chiefs. It is. And and Mahomes has started plenty of games in the cold, too. So it's it's not unfamiliar to him. Uh, plenty of playoff games, you know, let's face it, they're home for every playoffs. Uh, this, in fact, this is the first year he, uh, that the Chiefs won't, have the, uh, won't host the AFC co- uh, championship game unless uh, buff, both Buffalo and Baltimore get knocked out before he gets to that point. Speaking of struggling teams who are heading into the playoffs, Jeff, and with the topic of coaching uh, coaches, uh, you know, not there with their current team, could you see any team out of who are who's currently in the playoffs right now, like the Eagles with Nick Sirianni or the Cowboys with Mike McCarthy, making a coaching change if their team, their respective team, flames out here in the first round? I mean, I've heard the the buzz about Sirianni. I could it could happen. Uh, it happened with Jeffrey Lurie and Andy Reid. Let's face it. You know, yeah. two years after they went to the Super Bowl, uh, Andy Reid got fired. So yeah, I could see it happening. And the way they finished, yeah, it, it's not not a good spot for them for sure. I'm with you on that. Everything okay at the house? Uh, yeah, I got a dog that is uh, needing to get outside, but gotcha. unfortunately, I've got it, it's. It's a complicated issue there, but uh, sorry, uh, we got we got workers, so I can't just merely let them out either. Unfortunately, I but. understand. Hey, by the way, Mike Tomlin uh, did it again, didn't he? I mean, you think about the yeah. job he did with Mason Rudolph. Come on, this guy's never had a sub five hundred season during his career in Pittsburgh. Some believe that he should be coach of the year, taking the Steelers to a ten and seven season, given the circumstances surrounding that quarterback situation. Yeah. Um, it, it's really remarkable that they're down to their third-string quarterback, and it's the right choice. I think it's uh, it's going to cause for a really interesting conversation this offseason. I'm with you on that. That being said, do the Steelers have any chance to go into Buffalo, or is this just uh, too much? Uh, you know, uh, too much uh, Buffalo offense and Josh Allen at this point, and not enough TJ Watt, yeah. aka no, no, no TJ Watt. I think that's a huge issue. Uh, I, I think I think Buffalo. Uh, I, I think Buffalo rolls on this one here. Golf um, against um, you know you look at this golf against the Rams. It's a fascinating storyline with Stafford and Golf going back training places. Um, the Rams, another team. I mean, ten and seven. They played well, especially down the stretch, and they kind of resurrected their season. The Lions are the young darlings of the NFL with twelve wins, and many believe that Detroit could have a, a Cinderella run all the way through the NFC playoffs. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's it's interesting because for a while everyone was like, oh, Detroit's going to make on, – is on a big run. Now we see Laporta get hurt and that they're, they're a, a, a ripe for an upset by the Rams, who are everybody's favorite now. That's true. Are they your favorite or do you think the Lions will win? I think the Lions will win. Okay. I, I'm, in a, I'm a kind of a going against the room, if you will. We did a draft uh, last night, a, play, a fancy playoff draft. Nice. Seven teams, you know, because there's – you know, 14 quarterbacks, all that. We start two quarterbacks, two running backs, three receivers. Anyhow, it, it, the, the, in these leagues, it's all about who you bankroll. And I went ahead and got Lions on the discount, partially because of my draft position. I was drafting six out of seven. So a lot of Ravens and Cowboys and Niners are already gone before it gets to my pick. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've got, I've got the, the anti-trendy teams. I've got the Eagles and the Lions as my principal uh, components. I don't, I'm not in love with it, but... Do what you have to do when given that draft position. Packers are the second largest underdogs in their game going on uh, Saturday or Sunday uh, against uh, the Cowboys out at uh, AT and T. Um, I've talked about this game a lot. I, I don't necessarily think the Dallas Cowboys are going to roll over Green Bay. Packers have nothing to lose. That kind of mentality. Nobody predicted them even to get there. All the pressure mm-hmm. is going to be on McCarthy and the Cowboys to win and try to win big. Yeah, uh, it, it really is. But I also think they're the best positioned to roll. I mean, they not only uh, do they get a pretty friendly, uh, friendly matchup with the Packers, but if they win that, they're not going to face the Niners next. They're going to they're most likely either going to face the Rams or or they're, they're the Lions. Uh, and we I think that's a good matchup for them too. And I think yeah. fantasy wise, it's a great matchup if you have Lamb, if you have Dak. I think they're really well positioned. Probably the best bet to get three games. Could you of the non-top two teams. Could you see the Bucks upsetting the Eagles on Monday? Yeah, I could see it. I think there's like a, you know, 55, I'd say it's like 55-45 against them, but still, that's, that's a pretty darn good chance. I mean, it's, it's a small line for a reason. Eagles are a mess right now, aren't they? They sure are. Um, and we don't know if A.J. Brown's going to be able to play. We don't know if Devonta Smith is going to yeah. be able to play. Uh, we, they just lost uh, one of their top safeties. I mean, they're in a they're in a tough spot. They got a lot of injuries, and their defense is a wreck right now. More with Jeff as we continue. We'll shift to baseball right after Adrian in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Ford closer rankings as well. A lot of good stuff. Plus, the draft kit is also up there at rotowire.com. All right, Jeff, uh, let's get right to it. Uh, looks like the Cubs are going to sign Japanese lefty Shota Imanaga. What can you tell us about him from a fantasy perspective? You know, he's not as dominant as Yamamoto. You're not going to see him have the same velocity. You're not going to see him you know, get the same strikeout rate. The strikeouts he gets more are, are, are more on the basis of deception than being overpowering. Uh, so, you know, the, he, he's someone that is going to help the Cubs out, and they finally were able to land a free agent. So good for them for that. But at the same time, they, uh, it, it, it's – you know, I, I think he's more like a number two, number three type of starter. Okay, so we call him a crafty lefty. That is the nice way to put it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a as a fellow crafty lefty, I'm a little sympathetic, but yes. Uh, you know, I, I used to change my arm angles as a pitcher just because I knew I couldn't over, overwhelm pitcher, uh, batters in the, my case back in the day. So I always am sympathetic to crafty lefties. All right, let's talk more pitchers. Sean Manea's fantasy value going to the Mets. You know, uh, it, it's a good landing spot for him. Good, you know, it's 
it's not going to be an upgrade pitching park wise over uh, the over San Francisco, but it's not going to be a downgrade either. It's uh, one of the better landing spots, and the Mets might bounce back. They might be a competitive team again next year. I mean, let's face it: had they not peeled off so much pitching last year uh, at the trade deadline, they may have hung on for the wild card spot. Did you like the Giants gambling on Robbie Ray for the second half of the season and trading Mitch Haniger and Anthony DiSclafani for him? Um, yeah, I, I don't. I think the the price is fine, um, and you know, there's there's definitely a huge upside. Uh, I don't think you know. I, I think Haniger was a disappointment in San Francisco, so yeah, I think that's not a bad landing spot for him. Teoscar Hernandez, what will he do with the Dodgers? Uh, you know, it, again, this is. Probably a better landing spot offensively, ballpark wise. Um, they give gives them a right-handed bat in the outfield that they really needed, so that's pretty good. Um, that that's something that they really could uh, that they really needed to take advantage of. Um, so I think that helps, and it's it's a one-year make good deal, and those are rarely bad. Harrison Bader to the Mets on a one-year, ten and a half million dollar deal. Uh, Bader does not hit for a high average. He is a defensive outfielder. He doesn't have a lot of power. From a fantasy standpoint, this does very little uh, for any fantasy owner, correct? Correct. Um, I think it's you know, you might, you'll get some speed. Uh, clearly, that's that's part of the appeal. Um, he can't stay healthy, though. That's always been the big drag on his value. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of values, there's so many guys. Are we going to start to see soon the rest of the free agent class sign? Because don't you almost feel like uh, it's time now to to get Cody Bellinger and Blake Snell and, and, and the rest of the unsigned free agents to start getting them, uh, finding their teams. Yeah, absolutely. It's time. Um, this is always, this is kind of when you start to expect it to, uh, this is about when you, you start to see some of these uh, deals come through. Um, usually you're waiting for one, one big one, like one domino to fall. And then you start to see others uh, follow after that there. I thought after Yamamoto, we'd start to see the rest of the pitching market kind of come to form, but it hasn't happened quite yet. Right. I think it's getting there, though. I think so, too. And you look at some of the other names that are out there. Aaron Nola's out there. Jordan Montgomery's out there. Josh Hader, Matt Chapman. Uh, there's a lot of pitchers that are still uh, looking to get deals right now. Yep, that's right. Um, and Chapman, I think, has, has some good value. Uh, he dropped off in the second half last year, but he has a he features a pretty hard good good hard hit rate, and he also you know is a fantastic defensive player. Um, so you want to see that. Um, and then Hater, of course, is going to close wherever he signs. Uh, other relievers, maybe not so much, but Hater's still an elite reliever. Uh, one thing about Hater is you know, and that might and it might be a slight drag on his value. Is he he's not a multi inning guy ever. Um, he, he's pretty specific to. You know, it, it's to closer, closing situations only. True. By the way, did I miss Nola? Did he re-sign with the uh, Phillies already? He did. Okay. He so, did. So he's done. Um, I'm trying to see. And that's it. one of the motivations for the Braves to trade for pitching instead of sign a free agent. True. What about Marcus Stroman? Still out there? I thought I saw that he, that he was looking at the Yankees. Uh, ah. I just saw, thought I saw that today. Okay. So I don't know if that's a done deal or if that's just a rumor. I've been kind of like... Uh, vacillating between both sports, been focusing more on uh, football today than baseball. But I think I saw a rumor that he might be going to the Yankees. Let's talk about the draft kit that is up at rotowire.com and how our uh, listeners can get a, a free peek behind the paywall and, and really what the draft kit entails since so many people right now are preparing for a fantasy baseball season. 
Yeah, once the NFL playoffs start, uh, it, we start to get uh, for our first wave of signups for baseball subscribers. You know, some people are starting to do a little bit more on their their, their drafts or some slow drafts, some deeper leagues, uh, and then we'll get another wave after the Super Bowl. But you know, we have all our, our initial set of projections are up there. Uh, rankings. Uh, we're going to have another set of rankings called the Rotowire Roundtable. We've talked about that before. We're going to submit that again over the weekend. Have another set of rankings up there. So, kind of excited about that. And there'll be a lot more coming up soon. A lot of strategy articles, uh, what we learned from last year, all that sort of good stuff. Excellent. It's all up at rotowire.com. Check it out, folks, uh, and you'll uh, trust me. You'll be enjoying everything you have a chance to see from uh, Jeff and his team out at Rotowire. Good stuff as always. Hey, look forward to having you back with us next week. Thanks a lot, Steve. Jeff Erickson, folks, as we continue. 20 in front of 6. Back with more in a moment. Sports Talk continues. Bernie Olivas, Executive Director, Sumble Association. He'll be stopping by in our 6 o'clock hour. You don't want to miss that conversation right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Adrian Broaddus. Welcome back, everybody. Adrian, I'm excited about this hour with Bernie Olivas, Executive Director of the Sunball Association. Um, our Tony the Tiger Sunball Watch was a terrific week-to-week conversation that ultimately led us to that Notre Dame-Oregon State game that we enjoyed in El Paso, along with 48,000 of our friends and uh, family members. And now Bernie is back from the National Championship and a lot of conversation for us to talk about here on the yeah, show. Yeah, a lot to catch up with with Bernie Olivas here on the show. It feels like it's been forever since we've seen him, so it's great to have him back in our studios, our River Oaks Property Schoolyard Sports Studios here today to catch up on the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. You know what I love about Bernie after the Sun Bowl game? He grows a goatee. He, you know, the, the appearance changes a little bit. It's a little more relaxing, a little more fun, and you know the stress is gone. And now you get to travel a little bit, see the uh, the semifinal game, and then the championship. Uh, that's 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 part of the fun part about this job, isn't it? Well, again, but the work is not over. There's we are still, you know, the the, the field still has to be cleaned. They're going right. to start tomorrow. Uh, make sure you get all the paint off. Leave it the same condition we found it or better, you know, with the UTEP logos on there. Are there still frosted flakes on the field? No, that was already been picked up. Okay, That's just making sure about up, that. Making sure to know that the ants didn't find it, that the ants didn't find it. No, but they'll, they'll start clean tomorrow and we'll leave it, to, you know, we'll leave it back, uh, you know, we'll put it back to, to UTEP standards. Of course, I still think we have the best logo in the in the in the bowl business, uh, and and even my colleagues tell me that. So the field I thought looked fantastic. Uh, of course, the weather helped. I mean, it was just perfect weather for a football game in in El Paso. Uh, the game maybe not as close as it, you know most people would like. You know, the matchup was great, but sometimes you know the game's not as good as the hype. But I tell you what, Oregon Oregon State came here, and they gave it all they had. They came here with a lot of with a lot of players short. Uh, but they gave it all they had, so uh, it was a terrific day for El Paso, I think, and for the Sun Bowl. I agree. Um, look, the fans that were went there, they, they enjoyed it. A lot of Notre Dame fans, as you know, that were at that football game. Um, there were technical issues with machines going down, having to take cash instead of um, you know credit cards uh, for payments and things like that. And um, it's not just a Sun Bowl thing. That's happened for Monster Trucks. That's happened for UTEP. That is, a, that is a, ultimately a, a stadium issue, and we're hoping that somehow, some way, uh, the powers that be can find a way to make sure that that doesn't happen again. You know, you're right. Like I said, it was a great day. It was it was a great game. It was a great matchup, but it wasn't a perfect day, and you're right. Uh, th- th- we did have some problems there. 
Uh, I lost service on my phone at 11 o'clock, an hour before the kickoff, uh, and there wasn't there that many people in the stadium. Uh, something's got to be done about that, and we'll 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 try to work it out because, uh, you know, for uh, for safety reasons, we yeah. need to have a service, a telephone service. If something happens in there, uh, you God know, forbid, an yeah, emergency, and nobody emergency. can do anything with and calls we, and texts, that would be yeah, a disaster. Exactly. Like I said, I, I lost service at about 11 o'clock in the morning when I was in the stadium trying to call. Uh, my marketing director, Jay Pritchard, uh, you know, to, to talk about a couple of things, making sure everything was going right, and I couldn't get to him. Uh, so, uh, there's a, like I said, it was a great day, but it wasn't a perfect day. Uh, you know, the system's going down. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, and I don't know if the size of the crowd had anything to do with it. You know, you know, UTEP doesn't quite put, you know, sell it out all the time, so maybe they don't have a problem. I don't know if it was the amount of people that were trying to use the phone and trying to do texting that, that caused it to crash. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to have to work on that. Uh, and you're right. Uh, the, the, our, our merch, our, you know, our merchandise stores had to go to cash only, which, you know, I know a lot of people don't carry cash anymore. That's they, true. They don't. They don't carry cash anymore. They carry their cards. They carry their phones, and that's how they work. So, again, it wasn't a perfect day, but, uh, you know, we have already had – we've had – we had a long, long wrap-up with the staff, and we went over from, from – from the top to bottom, and yeah, it was great, but we have a lot of places to improve in the parking. We had some parking issues. We had some ticket issues, but uh, we'll get those fixed. But uh, I'm still – I would do it all over again tomorrow, uh, you know, to have that type of crowd and that type, type of matchup and, and that type of game. Yeah, it was a throwback. It, it really was. The crowd was terrific. And, uh, again, uh, I think the most important thing is that you had to get there early. I mean, that's the key. It's, it's tough showing up to the stadium between 10.30 and and 12 o'clock and not expecting any delays when you know you've got 48,000, you know who's playing, you know the significance and the number of tickets that have been sold. It's almost as if you you have to get there early. You know, nowadays, you know, tailgating is a big part of any football game now, but... uh, you know, for, when a game is going to be sold out and you know there's going to be a lot of people, you can't wait till you know, hey, it's quarter, kickoffs in 15 minutes and try to get in there and, and, and be in your seat. So you have to get there. It's a double-edged sword. You know, you got to get there very early and tailgate and, you know, leave the tailgate by 1030 or 11 to get in there and, and sit there and wait. So uh, every gate available at the Sun Bowl Stadium was open, but the lines were still long because everybody tried to get in at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, there, you know, there are some problems, with the, and some we can fix, and some just a, a matter of nature, you know, just a lot of people trying to get into a, into a small area. But uh, by the end, by the middle of the first quarter, that stadium was full. It looked great. I got some great compliments from CBS saying it looked absolutely awesome on TV, and, uh, and a lot of, you know, even a lot of my wow. friends, all my colleagues – from around, from around the other bowls, you know, told me the same thing. Guys, you, you, it looked great on TV. Congratulations. That stadium looks fantastic. The weather was perfect. Could have asked for a better you day know, as well. With and that. a lot of the other bowls in, in, our, in, our, in, our, uh, in our level uh, don't sell out. But uh, while we're here, I would like to thank El Pasoans for showing up to our game every year. And I tell people around the, you know, around the, the bowl, <clears throat> bowl season group that uh, our 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 local fans support our game more than anybody other other you know bowl in town. Most of the other ones, uh, you know, it's the fans that travel 
that that are the only ones in the stadium. But here at Sun Bowl, I think our El Paso ones have supported this game for 90 years, and I hope they continue to do that to fill up that stadium every year. Bernie, this might be a weird question, but after the game is over and everything, do you watch the television broadcast version of the bowl as well? Because, uh, you know, I, I got on a plane that day. I watched the entire game on the broadcast, and I loved the way that they were talking about El Paso. The only thing that everybody kept uh, talking about was the cactus or the cacti that they threw out there. Wrong one here in uh, West Texas. <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw about maybe four or five plays of the game at the game. Uh, there are so many things going around, like as we talked about, about you know, about the concessions, you know, about the concessions, about the telephone. So I am up and down all over the place. I don't get to watch the game live very much, but I will watch it afterwards. It's already on YouTube. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were watching it. At the, we were watching it at the. Uh, at the office today, uh, I did get an opportunity to go to the Rose Bowl since since our game was on a Friday. The Rose Bowl was on Monday, and I got a chance to take my granddaughter to watch the parade and, and to watch the parade in the Rose Bowl game, which was fantastic. Which was a fantastic game, and then came back, sp- spent one day at the office, and then left again to, to Houston for the championship game. So, uh, yes, I do get to watch the game afterwards, but uh, during the game, there's a lot of work to be done, so I don't get to, I don't get to watch a lot of that. All right, this comes in from Enrique Ortiz uh, on uh, Twitter X. Thank you, Bernie, for a great 90th annual Sun Bowl, your tireless efforts and dedication to our city and our game. I look forward to more Tony the Tiger Sun Bowls and our new alignment to come. Thanks for a great 20th Sun Bowl. It must be for Enrique. It's his 20th that he's had a chance to uh, attend, and there's one fan that was really happy about that, but he brings up something interesting, the new alignment uh, to come, and that's going to be a question that not just you, but the Holiday Bowl, the Alamo Bowl, the Vegas Bowl, the LA Bowl, and the Independence Bowl, a lot of bowls out there that have uh, Pac-12 um, ties and how uh, things will work for them starting in 2024. You know, a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I really wanted to go to the championship game because a lot of my colleagues are there. And, of course, that's uh, the big topic of conversation with us because right now we don't know what exactly what's what's going to happen. I did speak to the uh, the associate uh, commissioner of the Pac-12, Merton Hanks. I don't know if you remember Merton, Merton Hanks. Heck of a football the, player with the 49ers. Heck of a football player with the 49ers. Yep. This is his famous uh, chicken dance after interceptions. But he is one of the nicest gentlemen I've ever met, and he's the associate commissioner there. And we spoke, we spoke a little bit, and he said before the end of the week, we need to sit down and talk and uh, lock arms and see what's going to happen. So they're not sure what they're happening, what's happening either. Uh, I did speak to a lot of my colleagues, uh, the, you know, the ones that you mentioned, you know, the Alamo, the Holiday, the, the Vegas, the, you know, the, the uh, L.A. Bowl and Independence Bowl. Uh, we spoke today and then we tossed about it. And so who do we talk to? When are we going to talk to? But we're collectively need to find out, uh, you know, what's going to happen. Now, we know that there's only two games, uh, two, uh, two schools left, and the other 10 have uh, gone to other conferences. Now, there, uh, is there any room for them right now in the bowls that the other conferences are tied into? We don't know. So is it possible that maybe the teams that left, the schools that left, will be available to the bowls that are, you know, to the bowls that are, that are still remaining? We don't know. But that's a possibility. I don't think that there's room for them at, you know, right now in the lineup at the other conferences that they're aligned with. So uh, we are going to be talking. We're going to be talking pretty soon. We, we talk to each other a lot. Like I said, I spoke to the commissioner. He says this has to happen like right now, yep. if not this week, next week, uh, to try to settle on what's, what's happening. But 
I think that uh, our history, our history, our reputation, you know, of our hospitality, I think we'll be safe, and I think we're going to land on our feet, whether it's with a Pac-12, two, Big Ten, Big East, I mean not Big East, Big 12, Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to be fine. I think the ACC is safe. Uh, they've uh, told us that they would like to continue with us. Uh, our sponsor would like to, to renew our contract, and so is CBS. CBS has also said uh, when this all settles down, come on up and let's talk, uh, let's talk uh, you know, extending contract again. So I feel very comfortable with our, with our position right now. Uh, things change, but I, I don't see uh, the Tony the Tiger Sumball going anywhere. Could you see a situation, because I believe there's two years left, right, on the uh, current agreement, 24 and 25. Could you see a situation where the teams that move to the Big Ten and the Big 12, um, because they're they're new and they're incoming, and they have the prior relationships with you and all the other bowls, uh, make some kind of arrangement that as long as they're not in the, uh, the, the group, the, the 12 playoff teams, that they you would have first crack at them before all of the other bowls that are currently tied in with the Big Ten and the Big Twelve get a shot. I, I that's something that we talked about, as, you know, with our with my colleagues, not with the, not with the conferences, yeah. as to who gets where. But at the same time, uh, what if all some of the the schools that have left? What if they wound up with uh, f- five and seven records, or true too. or four and eight records, Assu- and not ass- bowl eligible? Assuming they're bowl eligible is what we're talking about. <clears throat> yeah, right. assuming they're bowl eligible. Yes, I think, I think that they we would have a crack at the schools that left because first of all, like I said, I don't think uh, I don't think there's room for them right now in the way it is structured right now because all the other conferences have have bowl tie-ins with their conferences to the other bowls. Yes. There might not be room for them, so I think the only other place would be for them is to, is to allow us to, to have access to those schools. Unless, as you said, there's a 10-2 team. And they're in the, tw- they're in the, they're in the playoff. Ten, and then the playoff, and yeah. the expanded playoff, it, right. just, it, might, it might happen. Do you plan on trying to align with all the bowls that you mentioned together? Like, it, okay, are the bowls going to be rogue? Are they going to all look out for themselves and try to work their own deals? Or do you think that you, Alamo, Holiday, Vegas, and the others could all collectively go into this together so that way you're all negotiating from a position of power rather than survival of the fittest for the next two years? In my opinion, I think the best thing is to go collectively as a unit and say, here we are. You know what are your what are your I think I said yeah. there's there's strengthening numbers I think and I believe yeah. to me that would be the best way to go best way to go around it so that we all come out you know we all come out with uh, you know with with a viable bowl game uh, we're all friends uh, we're all colleagues uh, you know we have our own association we talk to each other a lot you know we have Zoom meetings once a month uh, so yes I th- I think collectively is the best way to go. And like I said, after we'll see. After I, I get the phone call from you know, uh, you know, from the commission, you know, from the commissioner. A good thing again was that uh, we had one of the remaining two teams in our game this year in Oregon State. That's true. At Scott Barnes, the, ath- the athletic director at Oregon State, is is he, he is uh, to me? I think he is the one that's leading the the charge for the Pac-12, at least to keep it a viable conference. So we had a long conversation. We went out and had uh, and broke some bread and, and sat there and talked for a couple of hours. And yeah. uh, 
Uh, he feels comfortable that things are going to that things are going to settle are going to settle down. He feels comfortable that the Pac-12 is going to uh, is going to remain a conference, and of course he would have to go uh, and I guess uh, find some schools from other conferences. And mostly everybody's talking obviously about the Mountain West about the Mountain West. All this is conjecture. Nobody none none of this is uh, you know is a positive thing. We're just but there's you know we're talking about all kinds of things. But I think at the end of the day, I think we're going to wind up. I think everybody's going to wind up happy. All right, seventeen pass as we continue more with Bernie. But first, let's go to Charlie. Charlie one. He's back with his traffic update. Twenty one past the hour. We're back. Bernie Olivas, executive director, Sun Bowl Association. God, I'm getting hungry, Bernie. I can't wait for lunch with Adrian <laughs> covering the tab and going back to Chick Fil A and and having uh, another delicious meal. I mean, it's you know, if we're real hungry, we should just double up the order because it's going to happen again next year. Oh, poor mm, guy! Look at that. That is, that is rough. But hey, then I got a turkey, a turkey for the biggest loser three years in a row. Um, but they don't they don't sell turkey. It's got to be chicken. Oh. You got to be the chicken, not the turkey. You got some time on your hands in these next couple of weeks, right, Bernie? Let's go to lunch. You got it. There you go. By the way, I do want to thank um, – I, I, I really need to uh, thank Anthony and Joy at uh, Chick-fil-A Airway because Absolutely. Thanks, thanks to them, they have now made me want to go out and find pimento cheese somewhere, add it to a regular chicken breast sandwich with some honey and jalapenos, and create my own uh, version of that sandwich because that thing was so good. I know it's like for a limited time. I just hope they put that back on the menu. Absolutely. Everything there is delicious, but it's even more delicious when somebody else is paying for it, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I was, that's at, gonna come, I was in the That lead statement is going to come back and haunt me for the next 10 years. You watch. Oh, my God. Now, listen, you were in the lead early, right? Early. Early, very yeah. early. And then I, and then I, uh, it was just kind of back and forth. I think this was the most competitive it's ever been in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl watch. It's so true. Because I think I finished tied with you. Yeah, I had to come back from way down in the last couple of weeks. You took some chances and it worked. Yeah. It was like the second to last week and all of your gambles <laughs> paid off. Every one of them. Oh, my God. All right. Um, We've talked about the game. We've talked about really the the future and and, and where things are going. I'm sure since you were at the semifinals in the national championship in Houston and you were with a lot of your bowl peers, I'm sure you talked a lot about where maybe this this is going to be headed in the future. Was one of the conversations the fact that with so many opt-outs going into the NFL draft and transfer portal that it's tough with bowl games now because the rosters look so different for all of these games outside of the playoffs than they do during the regular season. Yeah, you know, we talked about that. And the one thing, you know, you know, you know, coaches get to move anytime they want to almost. So I think it's only fair the players get to move. But I, I think I think what hurts us more is the fact that the the uh, that the uh, the portal the portal opens yeah. up the day after selection Sunday, yeah. which you know that hurts a lot of balls. You pick a team on Sunday, the next day. You know, a third of their team is gone. Right. So you pick a team that's eight and four, and all of a sudden, you know, their top players are gone. They're not an eight and four team anymore. In my opinion, you know, they're not an eight and team anymore. We feel that maybe this should happen like yesterday. You know, the day after the national championship game. That's right. National, but, uh, but of course, the argument there is that the players who are who are transferring uh, need time to to pack up from one school and get ready to go to another school. But I think that the 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 
the early signing date and the, the, the day the transfer portal opens up, I think, hurts Bowles more than anything else. Let me say this. There are a ton of players still in the portal right now with no home. So we could talk about the argument about packing up all you want during uh, winter break and Christmas break, but the fact remains that if you look around college football, that transfer portal is pretty full because I would say maybe a third of everybody that went in has found a home. That means two-thirds of the portal, they're still looking right now. Exactly. So, uh, again, you know, having it open you know, the day after Selection Sunday and those players who have who are enter the portal, yep. they might not. Like I said, they might not have, have find a home yet. So, I don't know. We feel that the portal should open up maybe the day after the nas- national championship game. Bernie, when it comes to all the different NIL changes today, actually there was a new rule uh, for, the NI- uh, for the NCAA f- regarding NIL, and actually they're going to be providing uh, players, athletes, uh, and I guess even universities a framework of what goes down in these deals, like almost like a, a template for a contract. How important is the, uh, is the NCAA stepping in on NIL transfer portal initiatives moving forward, knowing that it's kind of like the wild, wild west right now? It is the wild, wild west, and there's a lot of a lot of talk right now. There's a lot of talk about even the Bulls being able to to play players to promote the game, which they cannot currently do. Uh, there's you know there's there's that kind of talk. Uh, you know there's talk of uh, of paying the players to play, you know to play in a bowl game now, yeah. uh, which has been totally NCAA been totally against. But uh, with NIL, you know, in existence now. Might not be a bad idea that you know instead of some of the all the payment going to the conferences, maybe some of that team, some of that team payment can go to the players. Uh, again, all that is rumor, all that is talk. You know, there's all kinds of talk going around. Of all, everybody has an idea, but there is a lot of talk about that. And I, you know, the one that I heard was that they're they're trying to get the you know the, the bowls to be able to pay players to promote the game, yeah. which is not which is right now is not allowable. Oh, that would be interesting if that's yeah. if that suddenly happens. Here's another one for you. I was talking to one of our regular listeners, uh, Hunter Pennypacker, who calls the show from time to time, and his suggestion was when it comes to guys opting out for the NFL draft, the NFL should step in and say, you know what? We're going to offer every player who opts out insurance for those bowl games. We're going to cover you so that if something happens to you, we've got an insurance policy protecting you financially. But the caveat is you got to play in those bowl games. You're not able to just opt out preparing for the NFL draft and not play for the bowl. So we'll pay you. We'll give you the insurance policy for everybody that decides that they're not going to want to risk it. But the uh, the, the catch is you got to play in that bowl game in order to make sure. Otherwise, not eligible for the draft. Yeah, well, again, I don't think you can force anybody to play a game. Uh, you know, it, it's their life, it's their career, and with, and with, with that, with that covered, I don't know. Uh, again, none of us on this side, you know, like the opt-outs. And again, the Sumble was probably the very first one to experience the opt-out back with Christian McCaffrey. I don't, I don't think anybody before that had ever opted out of a bowl game to prepare for the draft. Uh, it's funny, I, you know, Sam Hart, Hartman was here at the game, you know, and I spoke yeah. to him for a while, and he was, God, what a nice gentleman he was. Uh, and we spoke, and I just asked him, have you been here all week? Because I just saw him on the sideline. He goes, no, I just flew in yesterday. He says, I've been out getting ready to working out, getting ready for the NFL. Well, you can't blame them for that. Uh, you know, they're trying to look out for their future, but, sure. but, uh, in sh- 
insuring them, maybe, maybe not. But again, you can't force anybody to play. Even if somebody insures them and they play, are they going to give it 100%? I don't know. You know, you know, will they? Will they be playing to get the money or will they be playing to, 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 to not get hurt? And I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that, uh, you know, at some games where you should look at a player who's fantastic and all of a sudden it just doesn't seem like he's running on all cylinders. So you don't know. Uh, you know, are they playing to not get hurt? To, you know, do they get their money? I don't yeah. know. So it's a tough situation in college football. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But I, I think opting out is, is here to stay. Bernie Olivas with us, executive director of Sun Bowl Association, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Did any other bowls uh, discuss with you the possibility of maybe moving the game and not playing it in December after the regular season and before the uh, the, the uh, bowl playoffs? Could could we see something perhaps in a zero-week scenario, almost like a bowl invitation? Uh, I know some people will say, well, that's not right, because what if you play all year for a bowl game and then you don't get to go play until the following August? Hey, if it means you get to play with a full-stacked roster and you're not dealing with coaching vacancies and all the other stuff – Maybe that would be something that some bowls would would consider. You know, I've been think I've been saying that for a couple of years. You know, I said you know, and and, and I've thought about it. why don't you play them? Why don't you play the Sun Bowl in Week Zero? And they said, but who do you pick? Well, you know, you pick the teams based on the previous year. And they say, yeah, but then those seniors don't get to play. They're not playing anyway. They're not playing right now anyway. Right. You know, most of the seniors are opting out anyway. But the positive side of that is, first of all, their both teams are zero zero. They're playing for something. They're full strength. The fans know way in advance where they're going to go. You, you know, plan the trip. Plan a trip. You know where they're going to go, yeah. and uh, and you know they'll they'll be playing. You know, full blast. Uh, of course, if everybody did that, how are you going to get forty three bowls played in one weekend? Or two weekends. You know, let's, let's say you did the first two weeks of it. Maybe the first that. two weeks. You know, yeah. you, you know, that's a lot of games to be played in, sure in a very short period of time. So, you know, there's some upsides, there's some downsides, but that was just, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, way out, it's a way out there thought. But I said, yeah, let's play it, let's play it then. You know, and the reason, the reason I thought about it was because there's a lot of uh, uh, kickoff games now. You know, there's a lot of neutral side games in, in week zero now. That's right. And I was thinking, well, why, don't, why don't the week zero games be bowl games? You know, and play it before the season. The players will still get their full, their full bowl, uh, you know, swag and everything else, uh, based on the previous records. You know, you select them on selection Sunday, but that game still won't be played till till August, till the end of August. I like that's, that that's idea. Way out there, but it's uh, it's there's a lot of things that are way out yeah. there. Adrian, what do you think? We honestly had a caller a couple of years ago say the same thing. I, I can't remember which caller it was, can't remember the name, but he actually came up with this idea a couple of years ago, and we thought it was the craziest idea ever. But now, when you reflect on it and you talk about all the uh, different, I, I guess, kind of uh, hurdles that bowl games have to go through as, as it is right now, it makes a lot of sense. Bernie, how, I guess, disappointing was it when you turned on ESPN games? Of course, not the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, but other bowl games that had no one in attendance that was disheartening to see in my opinion well and that's why i love el paso and that's why i love our game and i love our 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 fans because again i think most of our ticket sales are sold locally which i which i love which is which makes us stand out and that's why that's why you know schools like to come here now at those other bowls uh most of the fans that are in the stands are people that travel for to watch the team play yeah 
And, uh, you know, you take one of these big cities, there are, so many, there are so many activities going on in a lot of these big cities. A lot of people don't realize there's a bowl game going on. Here in El Paso, I don't care what's going on. If you see somebody walking around in Dece- on the week before the bowl game with an Oregon State shirt, you're probably going to know that they're here for the bowl game. Correct. And that's why I said about El Paso, the entire city opens up, to arms, opens up their arms to, to our visitors. And I think, I think that's what, what people say about this is one of the best bowls to come to because everybody treats you correct because they know why you're here. To me, other cities that are, that are large, there's so many other activities. Heck, uh, an alumnus of a school that's playing might not even know that their school is playing in town. So, uh, again, I think a lot of the bowls that, that you see, uh, most of the fans that are in the stands – are the ones that travel to see their team play, which is which is not bad either, uh, which is which is not bad either. The players are, are still playing hard. They're playing, you know, for their school. They're playing for the pride, and they're playing, you know, they're playing to, to play an extra game, you know, with their teammates. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fans. It's uh, a lot of games that you see that might not be uh, not be full, but again. The travel might be the travel might be too far, but I think uh, we are unique in that most of our tickets are sold locally. No bottom of the hour sports center as we have Bernie with us here right now from the Sumble Association as we continue. This game pays out nearly five million dollars uh, when you talk about really what it offers the two conferences uh, as part of the agreement uh, with the Sumble Association. If you take away the New Year Six. Uh, and obviously, you don't talk about the championship playoff games. This is one of the better paying bowls out there right now. In fact, a lot of bowl games pay less than a million. Some pay between one and two, but few uh, really are in the category as uh, the Sun Bowl is. Um, with what we talked about earlier, uncertainty with the Pac-12, possible uh, you know discussions with the Big Ten and the Big 12 for you and other bowl games like you that are uh, wondering how the future is going to go. Could we see this bowl continue to increase its payouts? And furthermore, I've always thought that the danger to that is, well, if the Sun Bowl increases its payouts, then the Alamo is going to increase. And then the, um, and then the holiday is going to increase. And everybody's going to try to stay at that same spot and not go down. So tell me a little bit about that. And really, as far as the bowl payouts go, how the amount that you currently give and what you could give in future years could kind of ensure that this game continues to get the kind of matchup that fans want. You know, well, sure. You know, you know, financially, I don't think you want to up your payout and stay in the same place you're at. Uh, you know, and like you just said, if we're going to increase our payout to try to to catch the to the holiday or the or the Vegas Bowl, well, if they increase it, then we've just paid more money to stay in the same spot. So, exactly. So you know, we got to be very careful how we do it. I think that the way we did it in the ACC, where we're in a pool, so you know, there's an upper pool with a holiday with a Pop Tarts and with the, uh, uh, you know, the Gator Bowl, you know, they pay all the same amount of money, but they're in the pool and they'll 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 pick on teams that are available to them. Mm-hmm. And then it comes to our pool, the, the you know, the Pinstripe, the Dukes Mayo, and us. We all pay the same amount of money to the ACC, so we are equally, so we are you know at the same uh, uh, at the same level. So we get to pick the teams at, at in the same level. So. Uh, I think that's the best. I think I think that has worked out very well for us. Uh, so uh, hopefully that'll continue. But like I said, we don't want to make, make a huge increase in payouts 
to uh, to stay in the same place. At the same time, we got to make sure that somebody behind us doesn't yeah. want to pay what we pay or more than we pay, and then how we you, fall back. So how do you do that? How do you how do you not fall behind, but also get? I mean, how do you stay aggressive? And try to well, get the best spots you could possibly well, get, all things considered. Well, we had to negotiate with you know with the conferences and you know and, and tell them what we want and where we want to be mm-hmm. and you know because it it goes back and forth until we come up with a, with the right number. And like I said, I say, hey, we want we don't we want to stay where we are or we in our selection process or, or we don't want to go back. And they say, well, these guys are paying more. Well, then we'll do what we have to, but we do not want to go backwards. And that's the same thing. That's what I tell both conferences. Junior goes, this, we do not want to go backwards. What do you prefer? Do you prefer pools or do you prefer picks based on place uh, in standings? They're, they both have they both have uh, their their pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it all depends on the contract that's written. And I tell you, you know, in the Pac-12, we you know we go by how much we pay. But uh, there's a couple of things in there that that we cannot do that the that the that the bowls above us can do and uh but on the other side we're all we're all equal so uh you know we just have to fight for the teams that are available f- to us for that pool in the grand scheme of everything how important is having CBS as your broadcast sponsor knowing their network versus ESPN which is cable and streaming. How important is that when you really look at this bowl game and and just the not just the relationship over the last fifty plus, but the future and where things are going to go over the next uh, five to ten? Oh, like you said, having CBS having a having a, a broadcast partner that's been around for fifty five years is is a very real huge plus when we go talk to our conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, ESPN is worldwide as well, but they have so many. They have all but. Three bowls, I think. I think only the Holiday Bowl, who's on Fox, and I think the Arizona Bowl, who's on, on uh, uh, what is it, Barstool, yep. are the only ones that are, already, are not on ESPN. But I think uh, standing standing alone, uh, I think, is, is a big thing for us. Uh, we know, you, know, you don't get lost in the shuffle. Uh, you don't get lost in the shuffle of ESPN. ESPN does a tremendous job. I mean, they do a tremendous job with their with their coverage. Yeah. But I think us standing standing alone uh, really is a, is a big enticement to to the conferences. Personally, I wish CBS had another bowl game. Uh, maybe we go back to back. You know, we'd have start. You know, we'd start and follow another one, so the people that are on CBS would stay with CBS to follow up another. You know, to follow with another bowl. I think that would be great. But of course, that's that's not my decision. That's their decision. But I think being on CBS, where we said I think is one of the best things that's that's ever happened to the uh, you know to the Sun Bowl. Thanks to Jimmy Rogers, and I don't know if anybody saw the broadcast, but CBS did a tremendous tribute to Jimmy Rogers, who passed away this last year, who brokered this deal in 1968, uh, and has continued, uh, and it continued for 55 years. So, uh, 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 yes, it's very important for us to be on CBS, and I think uh, uh, it, it, it has a big, uh, a, it's a big uh, negotiating piece when we talk to the conferences. As far as facilities go, Bernie, the new UTEP football head coach, Scotty Walden, revealed that UTEP has uh, future plans to possibly renovate those locker rooms here in the in the future. How huge would that be for the Sun Bowl in itself? I mean, we've asked how big it is for the UTEP football program, and they told us already how big it is for them, but how big is it for the Sun Bowl? Oh, it'd be tremendous. You know, you got two uh, Power 5 schools coming to El Paso, uh, coming to a bowl game that's 90 years old uh, in a tremendous setting, 
But, uh, you know, the, the dressing rooms do need a little improvement. Uh, you don't like the fact that they're the same as when you played? <laughs> Let's not go back there. But, uh, but yeah, you know, they need a little improvement. Uh, at the same time, there's, you know, and talking, talking to coaches and talking to ADs, I say, you know, how much time do they actually spend in those dressing rooms? Uh, not very often. They don't get to practice there. Uh, they move, you know, the equipment moves in there the night before the game. They go in there, they get dressed, they play, they leave. So is that the most important part of, of, of the stadium? Maybe not the most, but it is important to have adequate locker rooms for, you know, for the schools. Nowadays, they, they, they do so much uh, during, during pregame and halftime. But, yeah, and our, our, uh, our dressing rooms are a little outdated. But, uh, again, how much time do they actually spend in the dressing room? So would I rather spend money on improving uh, the uh, – the reception that we get, or improving the dressing rooms, I would say, hey, let's uh, let's get some uh, let's get some better reception. Let's get some better, uh, you know, uh, internet access, phone access, and everything else. Yeah. Question just ca- coming in via text, uh, wanting to know one of our listeners: Why is the Holiday Bowl and Las Vegas Bowl at a higher tier, and the Sun Bowl at a lower tier? One has a twenty thousand attendance, the other thirty-five, and then you look at the Sun Bowl, and you're drawing forty-eight thousand. So, how come because of the stronger attendance here versus those that those games still have a higher uh, higher tier? Very simply, they pay more money than we do. And their sponsors probably pay more money than, than, than our sponsor does, I would imagine. But that's basically they pay, you know, the Alamo Bowl is out there. Uh, the Alamo Bowl went and paid a lot of money, you know, you know, to get the pick that they get, which is right after the Rose Bowl. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, Vegas with their new stadium up their payout and jumped us, jumped us with their brand new stadium. Uh, you know, they have much better facilities. They have, you know, more, you know, more money. So they jumped us by paying more money, and so in the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, has got you know, uh, again terrific sponsors and a bigger city. So they're paying more because they pay more, so they get a higher pick. Could you see yourself at a spot, whether it's the Pac-12 or another conference, Big Ten, Big Twelve? You talked about that earlier. Um, as you negotiate, could you see yourself at a position, a strength, where you basically tell the league, "Hey, look, we'll give you this." But we want this pick and ultimately put you in a spot to where the future could give you bigger teams, better teams, more high profile teams. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we could pay more. That's what they're looking for. Uh, and we say, hey, we'll pay you this much. But we want this pick. Yeah. And I say, well, uh, well, let's talk about it. And that's always been that way. We, remember we were the Big 12 and we tried to and we tried to just re you know re up with them and they said yeah you know the price of poker's gone up it's going to cost mm-hmm. you this much money to get this team that they want, the money that they the money that they were offering versus the money we could pay would have taken us down to number 7 or number 8 pick and we didn't want to go that low makes sense well yeah. things have changed and all it takes is having the right sponsors and uh, the right yeah. you know the right financial commitment and all of a sudden it's a totally different ball game i tell you as far as sponsor concerned we could not get any better than what Kellogg's has done for us uh, it's been incredible. Uh, they have done some tremendous stuff. They uh, we never had a partner that big, and we have we've been blessed with terrific sponsors from the very first one who saved the bowl game with John Hancock, all the way to Norwest, yep. Wells Fargo, you know, uh, you know Jerry Rubin, and you know, and uh, Helen of Troy, along with you know Oscar Leesers, uh, Hyundai of El Paso, and now Kellogg. We have had some tremendous sponsors, and uh, people are jealous of the way we do it. They ask, "How do y'all do it?" I said, "Hey, we just hey." Just look at our stands. We're always full. 
That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, last question. It's a non It's a non football question. Could you ever see yourself in a spot to bring the golf tournament back? Oh, I'd love nothing more than to bring the All American tournament back. COVID kind of hurt us. Uh, people stopped. You know, the kids didn't want to start traveling to places. You know, with all the all the stoppage in COVID, I would love to bring that tournament back. It gets it. It starts with finding a sponsor who's willing to. You know, it's not it's not cheap to to put on a tournament like that and to bring those kids out, but. Uh, Again, we missed the you know the Jordan Spieths and the and the Justin Thomases right. coming to play in El Paso before they make it so big on the PGA Tour, and you know our past president is, you know he's a big golfer as well, Robert Dunlop, and we've talked a lot about how we're going to do this, how we're going to bring it back, but that's what that was one of our best you know the best events that we had, and yes, I have not given up on that one. Uh, we have some sponsors who who would probably give up some you know put up some money to, to have it back, but uh, again. You know, the players who played in our tournament have gone on to win over $1.8 billion on tour, which is a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of golfers. And it's great to say Tiger Woods, you know, walked on these fairways and right here in El Paso and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler and mm-hmm. Phil Mickelson, all those players played in our tournament here before they made it big. And when I go to PGA events, uh, I'll go to one or two a year and, 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 they, and we run into those players they always come up and say that's the best college tournament we ever played in so yes uh haven't given up on it yeah. uh trying to bring it back this just came in on social while we're wrapping up wasn't a problem this year chris m writes uh due to teams but bringing back the halftime shows does lauren more than the casual fan referring to some of the big halftime shows we've seen over the years we would love nothing more to bring back, you know, and I guess Jay Rubin started that tradition when he took over as a sponsor and he did a tremendous job. It's expensive to bring uh, to bring somebody to perform for 12 or 13 minutes. So finding somebody that wants to put up the money to bring somebody in who's only going to sing for, like I said, CBS gives us 13 minutes mm-hmm. for that to perform. So it is hard and difficult. You know, the, the NCAA has cut down the time of the halftime from 30 to 25 minutes. Yeah. And you know we have to let we have to let the, the two visiting schools uh, bands perform because they come all that way, uh, they come all the way from where they're coming. We need to let them perform, so we have to squeeze in a, a halftime entertainment for 13 minutes. That's all we get, Got which it. is usually about three songs. So uh, it gets difficult, you know. But we we're trying everything we can to make this thing uh, as as fun for everybody as we can could you ever do a halftime for 13 minutes and then a post-game uh concert for the same band where they play a full set afterwards yes we could we've thought about that as well if the game was played in august <laughs> the thing is yes you know it'd be a chilly night to watch a show by four yeah. o'clock it starts getting chilly sure and, it does. You know, this year we were blessed with you know with tremendous weather yeah, imagine a concert in the snow Exactly, yeah. but yeah. again, you know, if you bring it, you have a game that's a blowout and people start mm-hmm. leaving at halftime. Who's going to be left there for you know at, at the end of the game? Same with fireworks. You know, fireworks. Fireworks is played at the end of the game, but uh, you want people there, and a sponsor wants to have their name out there. So, so yeah, a concert afterwards. We tr- we even thought about having a concert at the fan fiesta. The day before the game, and then having perform at halftime, but then everybody goes to the fan fiesta and hears them for free, and uh, so yeah, it's difficult. We've got probably like a minute when we come back after this. We've gone way long, but I appreciate the time. Thanks for joining oh, us. Thanks and, for uh, having me. It's always a pleasure to be here, Steve. Great hour, and we'll look forward to having you back, hey, Bernie. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate thanks, it, Bernie. Bernie, Olivas, folks. We'll come back. Final thoughts next.